yourselves a hand. You got out of bed this morning. You deserve a hand. You deserve a round of applause for getting out of bed. We have already celebrated God and what he has done. So now it's your turn to celebrate him. So give yourselves another hand for getting out of bed this morning. You deserve it. You not only got out of bed, but you also got to do what it felt like to get out of bed. That's summer to enjoy a little bit of life without structure. Come on, somebody. Like, uh, I've had, I, I lost all structure last week, and the good news for you is that I was able, without my structure, to be able to uh, write a message that I can offer you this morning. Um, but life without structure can be, can be a lot of fun uh, for a season, but there will come a time where we will need to get back to work. this time of no structure, we have formulated um, what we would normally call a series, uh, something that we call Summer at the Refuge. Basically, what Summer at the Refuge is, is that it's messages um, without a structure of being about a certain topic. Does that make sense? And so uh, we are putting together messages as God lays them on our heart, as my, on my heart, on my heart, and um, Presenting them to you uh, each each week, so you never know what you're going to get. Where in February you come back, you know we're going to do a series based on relationships because February is the time of relationships, and uh, because of Valentine's Day. Um, so this is just a little bit of of, no, of a no structure zone this morning. However, uh, it's 
a time where we get things back in order, and the way we get things back in order as a refuge and really in, in the family of God is the Bible tells us, teaches us that we can get things back into, into order through prayer and fasting. And so this is going to lead us up into the first Sunday in August, which is August 4th, and that's when we begin our 21 days of prayer. And, um, and that'll go from August 4th to August 24th, and we invite you to join us in prayer um, in, the, in the month of August. Um, at that time, we'll take our church office, we'll open it up at 6 a.m. Um, for a time for a prayer meeting, um, for us to get together every day and, and pray in prayer, except for Sundays when most people will be in church together at work. Um, but in, in August, we don't emphasize That's just how we do it, uh, and, and some, some churches emphasize, emphasize fasting both times, but uh, we emphasize prayer in the month of August. If you want to fast, you're welcome to fast. I would encourage you to fast at some point during the 21 days. I know I am going to, um, but I'm not going to fast for all 21 days, so um, that's up to you. So last week in our uh, summer after refuge, I brought you a message that I believe that everyone needs to hear. I talked a little bit about honor, about honor. And the big idea for last Sunday's message was uh, that we should honor up, we should honor down, and we should honor all around, right? So honor up, honor down, honor all around. So like we want to make sure that um, if we answer to authority, we're honoring them, but if the people that we are serving in a place of authority in their lives, that we're honoring them as well. So um, I believe that's what God wants for us, is that he wants us to, to honor all people, not just those in authority. And I think in our country we have a, a big issue of honor. But one of the things that, um, that I didn't talk about that I feel like needs to be followed up when it comes to, to honor, I want to talk about today. So um, this is a little bit of a follow-up message uh, about, about honor. And, and, and when I talk about honor, the question, what happens when I need to be excused? What happens when I need to take a stand? And so this morning I want to talk to you on the subject of the standard, the standard. You can turn me in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles, you can feel free to follow along with us on the screen behind us, on the screen behind me. And if you want to go a little bit deeper, you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app on your phone or um, your iPad device. Um, all of today's notes are available for you. Um, I put a little bit more in version than I do on the screen behind you, behind me, so, um, so you can follow along. Uh, I don't want to be inciting things to not be followed up. Um, also, on the back of that card that you got on your way in, uh, that, that, that card we call it our worship guide. Write notes down on the back of that, and I hope that you will. Um, my pastor always said that note takers, always said, note takers are history makers. So uh, if you take notes um, and you learn from them, you can go back to them and you can you can do them and you can hopefully change the course of your history. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through, through 2 is really what we're going to read this morning. There 
because we have been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us in this place of undeserved privilege, where we now stand face to face, where we now stand Chapter 5 begins talking, um, and, and, and it, it begins, the Apostle Paul wrote the word therefore, therefore, and the word therefore simply means because of, because of everything I just said. So what he's saying is, if I didn't get your attention now, like, you better listen up, because that's what this means. And so, in order to look to what the Apostle Paul was talking about, we have to look at Romans chapter 4. Because what he's saying is, because of what I just said, this is what happened to me. And so in Romans chapter 4, we're not going to go back and read Romans chapter 4 to fill the time. But I'm going to share with you a little bit about Romans chapter 4. And that is in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul talks about a man by the name of Abraham, and what he's saying is Abraham's faith was an example for all of us to follow. And because of Abraham's faith, and basically what he's saying here is that because of Abraham's faith, we have been made right with God in God's sight by faith. By the same faith that Abraham had, we can be made right with God by the same So what that tells me is that Abraham is really important. His faith was really important. And I think this morning we can learn a lot from Abraham's faith. You see, the thing that I, when I think about Abraham and his faith, the thing that that really grabs my attention is Abraham's faith wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect. His faith was actually full of doubt. And I hope that maybe that's good news for some of you. Those of you that, that struggle to believe in, 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 in God even. I want you to, to know that you're in good company because Abraham actually struggled with believing the promise that God had given him. You see, Abraham desperately wanted to have children. And God promised him that he would have many descendants. And Abraham, there, there were moments of his life that he kept doubting. In fact, there came a moment in Abraham and his wife Sarai's life that Sarai came to Abram and says, you know what, why don't you just sleep with my servant? Maybe she can provide you the descendants that you're looking for. And that's how much Abraham doubted how many times in our faith journey does do we doubt and we get ahead of God I don't know about you guys but I I get ahead of God in a lot of things and if if I'm ahead of God then I'm in trouble right and so what happened was Abraham and Sarah got ahead of God and they got in trouble because Sarah said you know what Abram just sleep with my my servant 
she can have a baby for me. Maybe you can have descendants through her. And so, so Abram sleeps with Hagar, and Hagar has a child that is named Ishmael. Because Abraham doubted. Ladies and gentlemen, God is not afraid of your doubts. God just wants you to do two things. He wants you to realize that you need him. And he wants you to trust him, find a way to trust him, to save you from your sins. If you can find a way to trust him, if you can realize that you need you first you have to realize that you need him. Then you have to realize that you can trust him. If you find a point where you trust him. You see, the problem with Abram, a- Abraham and Sarah and Hagar is they stopped trusting God. So their lack of trust caused them to get ahead of it. But yet, still, the Apostle Paul says, because of the example of Abraham, now we can stand in our undeserving privilege. You see, the Apostle Paul knew that Abraham didn't deserve the privilege that God gave him. Therefore, we don't deserve the privilege that he gives us either. And I think that that's part of the point that, part of the point that the Apostle Paul is trying to make. One of the things that we have said at the Refuge Church that I, I spoke on um, I think it was last year, is that even the, the devil and his angels believe in God. So what separates us if we believe in God from the devil and his angels? Well, we came up with this definition, and it's one that I hold on to. And it is this, it's belief plus trust equals faith. Belief plus trust equals faith. We cannot have faith without trust. We have to get to the point of trusting in God. If our belief and our trust make us right with God in His sight, because that's all it takes, ladies and gentlemen, if that's all it takes, I don't deserve anything that God gives me. If that's all it takes, it doesn't require for me to be a good person, it doesn't require for me to do this, this, and this, All it requires is for me to believe and trust. And I don't deserve anything that God gives me to be called God. Last year I spoke a message um, called The Principle of the Opposite. And um, you can go back to listen to any of our messages, by the way, on our website, refugeman.church forward slash messages. Or you can... um, I said that God oftentimes works in the opposite of what we think he's going to, or in the opposite of what the world says that he's going to do. For example, um, in order to receive, we have to let go. In order for God to give, we ha- he wants us to, to let go. Um, I learned the principle of the opposite when I went camping last year. And um, when I went camping, I learned that I had to unplug in order to recharge. So, so I, 
discouragement. And so oftentimes I think that we find God in the opposite. And so um, God showed me another opposite this week. And he showed me this, that when we take a stand, we, sorry, we take a stand by surrender. The way we take a stand is by surrendering. And today's big idea, if I were to give you a big idea, is this, is I take a stand when I surrender. I take a stand when I surrender. If you think about it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. surrender and in order to receive what God had given him the descendants that God had given him he had to first find himself in a place of surrender Abraham and Sarah desperately wanted a baby and, and it wasn't until until Abraham was a hundred years old people don't hardly even live to a hundred years old grandfather lived to be 95 years old, so um, like that's old, and that's a long life, and um, anyway, people in the media live a long time, but they don't have babies when they're 100, <laughs> Abraham had, baby, had a baby when he was 100 years old, he didn't maybe even have it until he was 25, light up, okay, so Abraham and Sarah get pregnant when Abraham's 100 years old. And he has this baby boy that he names Isaac. And Isaac is his, his beloved child. Until one day, God says, you know what, Abraham, let me test you in your faith. Let me see how much you trust me. You believe in me, let me see how much you trust me. Let me test your faith. And because his faith was tested, God said to Abraham, Take your son Isaac that you dearly love and take him to this mountaintop and sacrifice him for me. And so Abraham takes Isaac to this mountain and they get up on top of it. And Abraham takes the knife and he raises it above his head to come down on Isaac that is laying on the altar before God. And just at that moment, I believe that his, his hand had actually started to come forward. The angel of the Lord grabbed his hand and said, stop. Look over there. There's a ram there. And God says, I have seen that you will trust me with this one. Oftentimes, God, whew, God brings us to a point, a certain point, that we don't think we're going to make it. And then he says, And because of his faith, now the Apostle Paul is writing about the example that he was. And because of his faith, we worship the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, his son, and the God of Jacob, Isaac's son. Abraham could not have done what God asked him to do without full 
one that surrendered himself. And when it comes to stories of surrender, the Bible is full of them, ladies and gentlemen. We've looked at Abraham, but one of my favorites is found, two of my favorites is found in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3 talks about three Hebrew boys by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that refused to bow to the to the idol that the king had, had built, the statue that the king had built. He re, they refused to bow down and to worship him. And say, you know, we will only worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, he's the only God that we will worship. So we're not going to bow down. And their stand, ladies and gentlemen, got them thrown into a fiery furnace. But they couldn't stand without surrender. And so many times I look at our country and I look at the things that I see and I see people that are taking a stand without surrender. You have to get to the point of surrender. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown in the fiery furnace and when they look inside, they see not three but four people walking around in there because God had said, my Bible says it was me that was walking with them. And they were rescued from the fiery furnace. And then just three chapters later in the book of Daniel chapter 6, there's a story by the name of Daniel that re, that, that chose to pray even though the king had, had just signed a law that said that he couldn't pray to anyone except for the king. And so the, what had happened was Daniel had risen into the ranks of administration of the king and, and the the fellow administrators got jealous of how fast Daniel had risen to the um, the administration level. And so they tricked the king into signing into law that you're not allowed to pray because they knew that Daniel was a faithful man. They knew that Daniel would surrender. And so they walked into his room on the day, at the point of the day that they knew he would be praying and they caught him red-handed. And because he was praying after the king had signed into law that, they, that he couldn't, he got thrown into the lion's den. But God shut the mouth of that lion and Daniel survived because Daniel was first surrendered. And he took a stand of surrender. The world says that we must fight. We must take a stand by fighting. But God says that we take a stand when we allow Him to fight for us. In Exodus chapter 14, God calls this man by the name of Moses to go and rescue His people, the children of Israel, from this wicked ruler by the name of Pharaoh. And in Exodus chapter 14, in verse number 14, God told Moses, the Lord, the Lord will fight for you. You need to only listen. The Lord will fight for you. You need to only be still. I don't know what you're fighting, ladies and gentlemen. But let me encourage you to find a way to be still in the middle of your fight. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? You know, I'll never forget the time that God taught me what it meant to be still. 
in January of 2016, I'm sorry, January 2015, um, we were living in Illinois. We were we were in process to move to Maine to start a church in Maine. And um, we were trying to sell our house. We were trying to sell our house. Trying to sell our house in a terrible market in Illinois. And in January, towards the end of the month, I was outside outside shoveling snow because God decided that He wanted to prepare me to move to Maine by sending Illinois, Southern Illinois, snow on this particular day. And um, it's it's amazing the thing that God does in your life to prepare you for where you're about to go. So uh, it it had snowed not not a whole lot, not a not a storm. It, we don't we don't get nor'easters in in the cornfields of Illinois, but. I was outside shoveling. It was enough to have to shovel. And I got a text message about a, a young man, 20, 23 years old, I think, that attended our church um, where I was the youth pastor at. And uh, it had said that he had been in a terrible accident. And so I got in my car and I went to the hospital. I met his family there. And when I got there, on to, to have his funeral. His name happened to be Adam. And um, we're preparing for his funeral, and I remember going to the visitation, and, and, or the, the wake, and um, I was talking to his mom. Her name's Bev. And I said to Bev, I said, Bev, you know, maybe that's why, this is why our, our house hasn't sold, because God had another assignment for me to be here and be with you in this time. And you know what she did? She had the she had the nerve. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you need people in your life that have the nerve. You know what I'm saying? She had the nerve to look at me and say, Now Adam, you just be still. Ooh. what it's like to be still until you have a mom that's fighting the hardest battle of her life to tell you to be still in the midst of your little battle. That day, Beth Conrad stomped on my toes, and I'm so glad she did. Because I realized that even though I had told God I would go, wherever he sent me, I would go to Maine and I would start a church and I would be there. I realized that there was a part of me that hadn't surrendered yet. That was the end of January. February, and we moved to New England in March. Whatever you are fighting 
whatever you think you are standing for. Find a way to be still. Because when you find a way to be still, you will be fully surrendered. And when you are fully surrendered, God says, I can rescue you now. In our passage, Romans chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege. And now we stand. Ladies and gentlemen, I think the Apostle Paul is saying, stand in what you don't deserve. When you realize that you don't deserve the grace that God gives you, you can now take a stand and you can now live fully surrendered. And anytime we take a stand like Abraham did, anytime we take a stand like Moses did, anytime we take a stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, anytime we take a stand like Daniel did, anytime we have to do it because we realize that we don't deserve the grace that God gives us. We don't deserve the privilege to say the name Jesus because it is the name above every other name. It is the name that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess to. And it is the name that rescues us in our sin. And because of that, we don't deserve it. And when we find a place, when we find the place where we realize that we do not deserve the grace that God gives us now, Again, I'm, I'm afraid that in the culture of social media that we, 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 we get this, this idea that we are privileged. <laughs> and because we get this idea that we are privileged, we get this idea that we have to stand and we have to fight. You see, that, the original language of that word now, stand in the book of Romans, it means, it means to establish. No, I'm going to be established in my thinking here, and I'm not going to budge. I'm going to be established in what I have to say, and I'm not going to budge. And we stand and we fight in our establishment. But what we don't find in our establishment is we don't find surrender. Because you have to get to the point of realizing you don't deserve what you have. You don't deserve what God has given you don't deserve the grace that he has given you and when you realize that you are when you don't deserve that, that when you are underprivileged now you can stand and fight but the, 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 the Bible does tell us to fight for the gospel the Bible does tell us to fight for the voiceless in the book of Proverbs chapter 31 verse 8 and 9 
there comes a time where you have to stand and you have to do it from the posture of surrender. So I want to give you, uh, with the remaining part of our time, I just want to give you four things to do when people don't agree with you and your stance for the gospel. Number one, I want, I want you to see that you have to pray for them. You have to pray for them. When someone doesn't agree with your stance of the gospel, just simply pray for them. Start with prayer. The book of Romans chapter 10, verse 1 in the English Standard Version, it says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, it is God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants every human being to hear the gospel, the good news, but we must fight for it so we can tell it. Ever since we started the Refuge Church um, two years ago now, a little over two years ago now, I, uh, I have had a list of people that have been on it. People that I've been praying for that they would get saved. And guess what? That list has gotten shorter. But then, guess what? incredibly humbling to look out there and see the faces of guys that I've prayed for to get saved. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it works when you pray for your friends to come to know Jesus, it works. They do. And when they come to know Jesus, you just add a new name to the list. Start praying for that one. So number one, you have to pray for them. Number two, the second thing that we do when people don't agree with our stand for the gospel, you have to don't expect the godly to don't expect the ungodly to act godly. Let me say that again, because I kind of messed that one up. Don't expect the godly to act. Un- don't expect the ungodly to get- act godly. Don't expect godly things from worldly people. How's that? That's how I wrote it down in my notes. I don't know why I didn't read it the first time. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not perfect. Don't expect godly things from worldly people. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 3 that, verse 10, it says, As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one's righteous. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away and all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from the grave, from the open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder, destruction, and misery always follows. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Ladies and gentlemen, 
people of the world are not expected to act like Christians. Stop expecting them to act that way. You're completely different than you were when God rescued you. Why do you expect them to act the way that God has transformed them? That's the only godly thing that can motivate them. Number three, understand can't win them all. You can't. Some people, you just have to turn over to God and put them in their in God's hands and continue to pray, but realize that you weren't meant to win them all. That's difficult to do as a, as a preacher. Let me tell you, that's difficult to do. But that's why you have to take a stand in the point of surrender. You have to surrender first. Finally, understand. And this, this, I don't want this to sound harsh. Please tell me. Please don't get me wrong. I say this with the most amount of love that I can. And I'm going to explain this. But number four is this. Realize that everyone's day will come. Everyone's day will come. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 11 says, Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above other na- all other names, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question. Will you do it on this earth, or will you do it after this life is over? You see, God's word promises us that if we are able to believe and trust God in this lifetime, that there is a reward for that, and the reward is eternal life with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that God's will that none should perish, but that everyone should come to him through repentance. That's what the Bible says. His plan is for you to believe in him and to trust him in this life so that you don't have to do it in the next. Because the Bible says that if you wait for that next life, that there is that punishment, there's a lot of terrible, rotten, nasty, awful things that describes what hell is like. But the worst of them all is knowing that God loves you and that God exists and that God is there, but continuing to have to live without Him. That's the most, that's, that's what torment is. Knowing that love is there, that you could have had it, and that you said no. God has elevated Jesus to the name above all names. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess 
is your time. Is it now? Or is it later? It's my desire, it's God's desire that it's now. And when you say yes, all he asks you to do is to live a life of surrender. <laughs> so guess what? It doesn't get easier. In fact, it gets harder. But that's what the truth is. And I wouldn't love you if I didn't, if I, didn't, if, if I lied to you and said, things are going to be better. It's a life of surrender. It's a life of obedience. And if we're going to take a stand for anything, we have to do it from a posture of surrender. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet? Every head bowed, every eyes closed. The response is simple this morning. When is your time? When is your time to confess Jesus as your Lord? You see, the Bible is clear that, that Jesus loved us so much that he died in our place. That when our sins separated us from God, that he paid the punishment for that. And he brought us back into relationship with a God that loves us. And that if we can believe and trust that, we're saved. Is there anyone this morning in the room that would say, Pastor Ashley, now's my time. Now's my time. Just with a simple acknowledgement of the raising of the hand, and as, as, as brave as you can be. Some of you might be, might be lay, sitting there saying, Pastor Adam, you don't understand. Like, I, I put on this, this cuff this front, and, and I've, I've taken a stand against what you're talking about right now. And I, but, I, but I understand what you're saying, and I, and I, and I, and I want it, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling, I'm, I'm struggling. Just be still. In your stillness, just raise your hand. Say, Pastor Adam, that's me. Is there anyone that would be that brave? Anybody? Anybody at all? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? If you raise your hand, I want to I wanna lead you in a prayer. And um, last week I tried something. I'm going to do it again. Every once in a while, I like to say the sinner's prayer of belief and trust. Just to remind me of that time in my life where I believed in God and trusted in God for the first time. And so, I'm going to invite all of us, everybody, to repeat this prayer after me out loud. Say, God, I come before you. I know I've sinned. But because of Jesus, I can believe in Come into my life and save me. Make me a new person. Help me to live for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you
said that prayer for the first time, there's a place on your card that we want you to fill it out, mark that down, and drop it off in the boxes on your way out or at the high sign on the way back. Would you do me a favor? Would you give God some praise today? Come on. Is God good?